Look up idiots in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No! The definition of the word idiot, which you fucking are! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Do Movies Badly, a podcast exploration of my cinematic ignorance. I am your host, Jim Rohner, and despite being an amateur film critic since 2006, I am woefully ignorant of many films, filmmakers, and genres that Consensus has deemed important, and thus I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month I'm exploring some offbeat Christmas movies, as recommended by Alonzo Duralde of the Linoleum Knife podcast, and in this week's episode I'll be wrapping up the theme, the month, and the year with the 1994 comedy written and directed by George Gallo, Trapped in Paradise. This one, I imagine, is going to be kind of a brief and uh, somewhat sloppy episode for a couple of reasons. Um, one, uh, I did not take any uh, any notes on it, so it's going to be my thoughts are probably going to be a little bit disorganized. And uh, basically, I'm rushing because as of this recording, it is December the 23rd, and I still need to pack and get my things together in order to hop on a train and head home for Christmas. Um, the hustle and bustle of the holiday season has not yet ceased for me, and so I apologize if this is a little bit sloppy because I've been um, rushing through the week, the day, to kind of finalize everything and get this out before Christmas because uh, Lord knows there was not going to be any work done once I uh, got home and also wanted to get this episode out Um before, uh, you know, Christmas actually happened, because what are the odds that anyone is going to be downloading or listening to this on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Well, I, I think I, I just um, uh, contradicted myself in that matter, but basically I just wanted to make sure that this movie or this episode on this movie was out before Christmas, because um, even though I am of the belief that the Christmas season lasts until uh, Feast of the Epiphany, um, that's a little bit old school, um, and also maybe a little bit unwilling to uh, let go of the Christmas season. Um, I just felt a little weird to me if I'd be making uh, or if I'd be putting out a Christmas episode um, after Christmas Day itself has uh, passed. So I wanted to get this out really quick. So it's going to be um, probably a little bit rushed and uh, maybe a little bit disorganized. And I apologize for that. But it's the ears wrapping up. Is anyone really paying attention to me? Anyway, so Trapped in Paradise... Um, didn't know really anything about this movie. I remember, you know, back in the 90s kind of seeing the commercials and the trailers for it, but not really being aware of any, uh, cultural, uh, any, any cultural imprint it made if people liked it, if people didn't like it. So in a way I kind of went in with the most open, um, perspective or, 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 uh, plain palette as you could possibly imagine and was a uh, was quite delighted by it um it, it certainly is not a, a perfect film in fact it's <laughs> it's not even um a very good film but it was in many regards certainly i guess uh, what i was looking for or, or what i do look for sort of in a christmas movie of course um something that i've sort of been hinting at or, or hitting upon a little bit in this whole month is is sort of um, is it a good movie and is it a good Christmas movie are sometimes two different things. They, uh, emerge or they, or they converge, um, uh, a little bit. Um, but not always, uh, is that the case? And in this case, it's certainly <laughs> the two are, are sort of, 
uh, far apart in the sense of um, it, it's it's basically sort of everything that I that I kind of look for in a in a Christmas movie in terms of the superficial stuff. Um, you have a, a cute little kind of idyllic town um, that every place is sort of decorated for the holidays from the, the, you know, the mom and pop stores to the big banks to everybody's houses. You have the snow falling at seemingly every minute and yet it never seems to accumulate uh, magically. And you sort of do have that heartwarming sort of redemption story. But uh, Trapped in Paradise is not, um, you know, if you remove that, certainly not a great film by any means and in fact uh it was just kind of doing research today and found out that actually this film seems to be quite hated <laughs> on on uh, rotten tomatoes it has a a 10 percent um rotten score from critics and only a 40 percent audience score um so it seems to be um not really well liked and and i guess i kind of understand that because it certainly is a strange movie. Um, I, I am uh, maybe the, the minority voice in the sense of when I see Nicolas Cage uh, headlining a movie, I am not excited for it. I'm dreading it a little bit. I'm not uh, a member of the cult of Nicolas Cage. I think oftentimes his presence in a film doesn't necessarily make it worse, but certainly makes it distracting. And, and, and Trapped in Paradise fulfills that um, uh, confirmation bias for me. Um, he's a little bit goofy and, and slapsticky in a way which is a little bit too over the top. He's not really meeting Dana Carvey and John Lovitz um, on the same plane in, in terms of their comedic performance. Um, and he's uh, quite distracting in uh, an accent which I think is supposed to be New York but oftentimes um, sounds kind of Bostonian or, or just completely foreign. Um, and, and, and I just find his presence to be incredibly distracting. Um, but I, I guess at the same time it's sort of his over the top and uh, performance and his frustration kind of plays into it. If he is supposed to be the sh the the straight man of the brothers who is just constantly flustered and 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 completely vexed by his criminal brothers, one of whom is a kleptomaniac and one of whom is a, is a, a pathological liar. So I can kind of understand that performance, but um, the the rest kind of doesn't seem to make sense. And and, and Dana Carvey's weird high pitched kind of voice is incredibly distracting um allegedly he was kind of uh, basing it off of a young mickey rourke but it really took only about five minutes for it to get really really grating um and uh not only was this film apparently um not liked at all but according to the imdb trivia um everybody hated <laughs> making it um where it, it it's a it's a a fun movie i mean there's a lot of uh, fun things that happen and, and it kind of has a uh you know um uh, a, a, a certain tone to it but um which could give you the impression that oh this seemed like it was a fun movie to make and apparently everybody hated making it um george gallo apparently didn't direct a lot of scenes actors kind of did whatever they wanted to and it says that nicholas cage actually directed a few of the scenes himself because of the writer director's unwillingness to or, or inability to who knows what the story is to direct the scenes and so what you do get is kind of a, a very uneven film in, in the sense of there's um some good um uh some good comedic pacing and, and timing and editing um in the sense of um uh what i i call them kind of one two punches in the sense of there's a, a setup and then a payoff kind of immediately after it um in kind of like a boom boom sort of way and you kind of have a lot of instances of this happening um for instance the one which is immediately coming to mind is when the brothers first get to the town of paradise in this stolen car and nicholas cage is something to the fact of like let's be inconspicuous and not draw attention to ourselves, and they're all in agreement and then the next cut is immediately them slamming on the brakes trying to avoid hitting a, a, a police officer on a horse with their car. Um, and so it's sort of that thing of like, 
expectation subverted. And it's like really quick. Uh, and that happens a lot, whether it be visual gags, whether it be dialogue uh, jokes, that happens a lot. And I find it very, uh, I find that kind of stuff to be really entertaining. Um, uh, but having said that, the film does sort of have weird problems with momentum in the sense of something will happen very quickly um, and then... It, it, then momentum will kind of slow down and stop and in the gaps what they try and fill it in with is twofold uh not just a, a story of this friendly idyllic little small town winning over these uh these criminal people which i think is very successful but then also the development of this love story between nicholas cage um as uh bill furpo and um, the character of Sarah Collins, who uh, the actress's name is escaping me, um, uh, Mad uh, Madchen Emick. Uh, I'm sorry if I butchered that, but she uh, she is also uh, you might know her very well from uh, Twin Peaks, both the original and the Return. Um, there's a love story that is developing between them, which doesn't make any sense. Um, not just in the sense of uh, they they together these two characters spend maybe half an hour together over the course of admittedly it's the course of a day but um so it is a rather compressed timeline but they don't spend enough time for a a relationship to really develop that makes sense at least certainly not in the sense of um hey at the end i'm going to give up city life and come and live here with you total stranger yes i'm cool with that let's kiss and hold hands and walk off um into the snow that it, it doesn't really make any sense and also i once again, I don't really see the appeal to Nicolas Cage as a as a romantic partner um, and don't know uh, why that is a decision because I don't think these two actors particularly have any chemistry. Um, but having said that, uh, the, the, this idea that this film is, is, is purporting of how this comedic um, setup of here was this idyllic little small town that these uh, big city criminals come into with the intention of robbing of $275,000 from this bank. Um, a plot that they that two of them overheard of while they were in prison. Um, they're going to, you know, run roughshod over these small town, you know, uh, idiot kind of people, grab the money and get out of it. Um, I mean, I mean, it's even kind of sort of a joke. I mean, the, the bank that they go into, the security cameras are unplugged and the security guard is an old guy who's fast asleep um, and everyone sort of trusts each other. And the, you know, the, the bank manager, um, who is uh, played by the the recently departed Donald Moffat, um, who you um, may know very well from The Thing on top of uh, many other things. Um, he even gives out loans based on a handshake, no collateral. I mean, I mean, it is this idea of the film starts out with a perspective, or at least the characters start out with, with this perspective of this town is filled with fools, um, it's, this is a joke, uh, they're condescending, they're looking down on them and it's sort of, we're going to swindle these people and we're going to get out of here. Um, and then what of course ends up happening over time is this idea of the wholesomeness of this, of this small town, this, this idea of the, the mythology of the, the goodness, the inherent goodness and, and hospitality of, of a small town, which I think is not entirely, um, truthful but that 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 sort of that archetype of this this wholesome loving interconnected small town is just so generous and so wholesome that it eventually you know uh their hearts grew three sizes that day and they and they they become so taken by the town and the people that they regret what they've done they, they eventually return the money and, and in sort of a way which i find to be quite entertaining in the sense of they are trying to get out 
and yet it is literally the goodness of all the people which continuously brings them back to the town, not just emotionally or metaphorically, but quite literally as well. Um, when they're, uh, you know, when, when they're, they're trying to drive out and they, and they crash their car, their car runs off the highway, and who picks them up? But the, I believe it's the nephew of the, the bank manager who actually picks them up and brings them back into the town of Paradise and brings them to a Christmas Eve dinner with the entire family. Um, or when they take the, they, they hijack the horse and sled um, and they, they try and get out that way. And then, but as they're trying to get a ride, the horse is stuck in the ice. And so they have to actually get the horse back out of the ice. And, this, and, and I, I love that idea of, of this, there's this wholesomeness and there's this courtesy and there's this generosity, which is eventually winning over these people, which is bringing them back into the fold, both metaphorically and quite literally. Um, you have the, the, woman, the woman at the bus station who pays for um, Bill's ticket to get home to his mom after he tells the sob story. And once again, the bank manager brings him into his home to to cook them this this Christmas dinner. And then, of course, at the end, when the FBI agent um, sort of arrests them and, 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 and has them in front of the entire town, the FBI agent also, by the way, played by a, not a young, but a younger Richard Jenkins, who hates being there, of course, um, when he has these three criminals up in front of everybody, they are eventually, they vouch for them. Like, no, I, you know, I, I didn't, I don't, we didn't see these people, you know, they're not the criminals. And it is just this kind of thing of they, they eventually, we, everybody wins each other over. And there is this undercurrent of forgiveness and acceptance and redemption. And, and these three people are kind of invited into a family type structure it is it is sometimes quite literally with the or, or not sometimes but it is in in uh, one regard quite literally in which um the john lovitz and, and dana carvey's character are eventually reunited with their mother at the end and are on a bus heading back home but then you have nicholas cage's character who does get accepted into the fold of this small town which is that's the biggest thing that um is sort of at the heart of all these Christmas movies, not just in a, in a grandiose sense, but in the in the, the the individual ones that I've been focusing on, focusing on, in the context of um, these films and this theme. I mean, you saw it in Millions, you saw it in Three Godfathers. I had a little bit of problems with Three Godfathers, at least in the spiritual sense, but at the heart of it, it was that idea of the symbolic accepting into. Uh, a family type structure or a group or just that idea of being together and being, you know, especially together around the holidays and how that is at the heart of everything and sort of makes um, the holidays a little bit special, a little bit more special for people. And certainly uh, what these movies would, would, uh, would have us believe is that what, that's what makes this holiday the most special of, of all of these um, is that idea of the one time of the year where everyone is sort of together. And there seems to be this transcendent transformational force, which sort of um, all ills are forgiven, all, um, all sins are washed away. And there is this thing of um, you are accepted and, and loved and brought in because of who you are, not because of what you have done or, or will do or that kind of thing, which is really, um, I, I gotta say really kind of touching, really something which, um, which uh, I, I don't want to say got to me. That makes it seem like I was maybe choked up while watching this movie. I wasn't because it is a, a quite a, a goofy and kind of sloppy movie. I, I mean, it has the sense, and I don't really know how I can really um, give you an example or, or, or kind of um, um, picture or give you a picture in your head of, 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 of what I'm talking about, a specific instance of what I'm talking about, but the, the movie does kind of have a feel of, once I read the, the trivia that this was, um, everyone hated making this movie and that everyone hated seeing it when it came out, sort of ma made a lot of sense because there is kind of a, 
a sense in the movie of, of kind of flying by the seat of their pants or sort of making things up as they go along. Um, if not narratively, then at least kind of, well, how do you want us to direct the scene? I don't know. Just kind of do whatever you want because uh, characters kind of have weird um, or co- uh, contradictory motivations from one scene to the next. Um, I'm thinking um, everything that we kind of know of uh, Bill, the Nicolas Cage character, who he doesn't, you know, he... he doesn't want to take any shit from his brothers once he picks them up from jail. Uh, you know, you're you're under my custody now. You're going to do what, what I say. I'm responsible for you. And yet he is so easily um, swayed by this, uh, what turns out to be a false story of, of visiting um, a uh, the, the, the sister or the daughter of someone that they knew in prison in this town of paradise. And then he caves into the idea of robbing a bank so quickly, so easily. I guess the film would kind of have us to believe that it's sort of a point of no return. Like, well, shit, we're here, and there's all these guns in the trunk of the car. We might as well go through with it, Um, especially considering how, you know, she's going to be shooting fish in a barrel, kind of robbing this bank. But for a guy who is this upstanding restaurateur, um, which is also a thread that's not entirely flushed out very well, um, who seems at first to be so reluctant to get back into um, a life of crime, he gives in quite easily. And, and I guess the film kind of sets it up as though, like, he's got a gift for this by when he fools the rookie cop at the very beginning when, you know, like, I'm um, sergeant whatever I am, I'm off-duty from Queens, uh, and, and scares this rookie into um, running away so that he can get his brothers off scot-free. It's supposed to, I guess, set this thread or this trend of, like, he's very good at this, he can, you know, he is clearly the brains of this operation. But it, but the, 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 the idea of why he would get back into it doesn't really make any sense other than it's just like well that's what the narrative wants us to do it, it wants him to move forward it wants him to eventually get to the town of paradise where they will eventually rob this bank and shenanigans will of course ensue um but for a guy who seems very reluctant once he gets to that bank he kind of immediately gives into it and once he meets the sarah collins character he, he he's he's trying to be this suave debonair guy and and i thought it was sort of he was portraying this part of trying to throw her off the the the, the scent of of what they're doing and just kind of playing this or supposed to be lothario and hitting on her and and that joke about proposing which is so weird um but then turns out later like no that wasn't that wasn't him acting like that was him he he legitimately wanted to be with her and spend time with her which is quite strange because once again they spend maybe uh, 30, I don't even mean 30 minutes of screen time. I mean, the film would seem to imply that they spent maybe 30 minutes together over the course of Christmas Eve, and yet for some reason that is enough for them um, to fall in love. Um, it's, it's, it's quite strange, but it's, it's kind of the theme of a lot of Christmas movies is this idea of we are willing to overlook and forego a lot of things for the purpose, for the larger purpose of the spirit of the season for what it stands for, for what we are hoping that it will stand for. Um, and, and I guess in, in light of that, I'm kind of a little bit more willing, or at least I was in the moment willing to kind of forgive some of the, the, the sins of this movie because it is not a, not a, a great movie. And, and like I said, even the, some of the directorial choices, assuming Gallo did make those directorial choices, like Dana Carvey's high pitched voice, you're like, why, why did you go in, in that direction? Why was that the thing that you chose to do? Um, it's cause it's quite off putting kind of grading. Um, and, and, and even the, um, the two bumbling deputy characters who at the end are, um, I believe arrested for their part in, 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 or not even arrested, but kind of chastised for the part that they had to play in the 
in all the shenanigans, which is weird and, and sort of kind of, uh, especially the, the, the one that actually has hair, kind of plays into a somewhat troubling undercurrent of this movie in which um, it's one thing for a film to kind of start out looking down on small town folk or country folk, especially if the idea behind the movie is going to be see how we were wrong about this, see how they were charming, see how we overcame the bias that we initially had. That's fine, um, and that is certainly in this movie, and that works, but um, there's a fair amount of, uh, it, maybe it's only two instances, but that's still too too many instances of, of the word retarded kind of being thrown around. Um, and there seems to be... Um, the mentally not not as sharp people are uh, used for the butt of jokes, including um, one of the, the deputized um, townsfolk who is uh, running the convenience store or the department store, whatever it is, where the three brothers buy their, their um, robbery gear, and also one of the uh, cops who is the son of, um, of the, uh, I guess, the, the town sheriff who is himself kind of described as a little slow. Um, these are kind of the, the, the butt of jokes when we first meet them. And sure, I guess you could say that the, the, uh, the police officer has his redemption story or, or his strengths because he ends up shooting the, you know, the, the big baddie at the end. But there, there is kind of a, an undercurrent of, of um, these people are slow and they're funny because of it. And not like they have jokes, but they are themselves the joke. And that's a little bit troublesome and, and take this idea of the small town um, folk being looked down upon a little bit too far and not in a way which really works. Um, that is one one thing that I'm I'm not willing to kind of overlook um, in this movie. But in but but I will say that despite um, my thoughts on it, I certainly didn't hate it as much as I I, you know, I mean ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't to say Rotten Tomatoes is the end all and be all of um, cinematic litmus tests of quality, but that seems um, a little a little uh, extreme to me, um, especially because it is a movie that has heart, and I think in a lot of the reviews I've been reading, it, it seems to kind of stay on this effect uh, or, or, or on this superficial thing, and uh, not superficial, because it is a big part of it that this, in terms of execution, is kind of a poor movie. Um, but there is a heart to this movie, which I think does work very well, even if... Um, the people who are playing it out um, are not the ideal candidates to be um, doing so, um, and, um, and and one of the one of the things, especially I, I always look up to kind of especially during a certain time period. What did um, Roger Ebert think in it? Think of this, um, and this is just uh, this is just one of the very first paragraphs. So he gave he gave it a half a star. So I will link to this um, this review eventually, but. Um, he says, take Trapped in Paradise, for example. This movie is dead in the water even without any squad cars. It fights a tendency to come to a dead halt every five minutes, which I agree. The, 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 the idea of momentum in this movie is not a thing, really. I mean, it's almost two hours long, and it feels like a, a kind of a long movie. Um, but the squad cars don't help. There's a scene where several squad cars are chasing three cooks in a sorry, three crooks in a horse-drawn sleigh. Why is this supposed to be funny? Why? 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 The movie takes place in the hamlet of Paradise, Pennsylvania, which, small as it is, has a limitless number of disposable squad cars so that it never runs out. To be fair, the sheriff also sends some cars, which are also destroyed, crashed, or run off the road. Everybody gets in on the act. I knew the movie was in trouble by about the second scene. Um, he, he, he seems to be incredibly hung up by the fact that there are so many squad cars which crash in this movie, which, I, I, I mean, if you're going to nitpick something 
is that really the thing that you should be um, picking? Uh, but he also goes on to complain about um, um, Dana Carvey's um, high-pitched uh, twerpy voice, which I also don't love. Uh, and then he goes to say, um, the plot thickens, hell, it congeals. Um, it is kind of a, it is a very sloppy movie, but one which also kind of has a heart to it. And so once again, um, we, we, we sort of had, um, with the last film, Three Godfathers, I kind of had this one, which I thought was a very, a well-made film, but the spirituality or that, that Christmas element of it kind of didn't really land. I don't think it blended well. Now it seems like the pendulum has swung in the opposite direction, which, uh, the Christmas elements were all there. I mean, this was something that I think uh, probably something that my parents could sit down and, and get a kick out of and, and just be really touched by the redemption story and the fact that it was this cute little town which um, has the main street, which is all decorated and that sort of thing. But um, but the, the quality of the movie itself was just really not there. Um, I don't regret watching it. Uh, once again, as I said, it, it was it was... It was fun. It was sort of the thing that I needed at the moment that I was sitting down to watch it. I didn't really have really high expectations or low expectations. I didn't know what to expect and just kind of like took it in and was like, well, that was delightful. Um, and apparently even just saying, well, that was delightful is um, off the beaten path from what the consensus seems to be um, of this movie. So um, as I said, that's really uh, that's kind of it. That's really all I had to say. I do have many things to do uh, still before I kind of um, shut it down for, uh, the year in regards to the podcast and a lot of other things. So, um, I, I guess I want to wrap this all up. I, uh, well, first and foremost, I guess some housekeeping. I'm going to be off next week. Um, not just, uh, is Christmas coming up, but New Year's is coming up as well. I'm going out of town for New Year's. So I, I, I don't, I don't have a theme yet. Don't have a guest in place. I'm working on that, but it just um, it will probably be off until probably the first full week in January. So this is the last podcast of the year for I Do Movies Badly. Um, so don't tune in next week because um, there's not going to be anything here. But maybe if you have some downtime, catch up on some uh, back episodes or feel free in your spare time or your time off to kind of write in. Let me know what maybe some of your favorite moments of the admittedly short I Do Movies Badly year was. We only had September, October, November, and now December. Um, it's easy enough to do. You can email me at youdomoviesbadly at gmail.com. Um, find back episodes on battleshipretention.com, idomoviesbadly.podbean.com. Um, you can chime in on whatever minimal discussion is going on on Facebook or tweet at me at Nolan Fixes Teeth. Um, but um, yeah, there's not going to be anything new next week. Um, but you know, stay tuned to the Facebook page and that kind of thing to kind of know what is going to be happening once I get it back into gear in January. So um, now that housekeeping is done, I do want to say once again. Um, if you are celebrating the holiday, um, whether you uh, are traveling, have yet to traveled, um, if you're staying put, um, doing a, a Christmas with friends, um, by yourself, whether you're with family, no matter what, if you are um, partaking in the celebration of this holiday season, I, I want to say that I hope you do have a, a truly wonderful Christmas, that you are surrounded by friends and love and warmth and blessings. Um, and I hope that you have a, a fantastic um, New Year as well. Um, this is, I, I know, a time of year in which um, some people just really don't care about it, don't partake in it, and that's perfectly fine. You know, you you do you, whatever whatever makes you happy. Um, but I know it can be a, a time of year too, which is a little bit um, difficult for some people, whether it's they're far away from the people that they want to be with, um, whether they have uh, some association of loss around this holiday season. Um, it can be tough, I know that. 
And so um, I also, you know, I'm if you are one of those people as well who is um, a little bit lonely, a little bit hurting, um, I, I, I'm wishing for blessings and for the best uh, on you as well. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a sucker when it comes to Christmas. I'm one of those people who kind of buys into the, um, no matter how shallow or, or superficial it may be, uh, buys into this whole idea of sort of the, the intangible, transcendent um, spirit, magic, whatever you want to call it, of the Christmas season. I sort of buy into that. And um, I realize that not everyone does, that some people see through that, or it is just, it serves to exacerbate things which may already be difficult for them. So um, I don't want to assume that this is going to be the best, uh, you know, the most wonderful time of the year for everybody. Um, but I am truly hoping no matter who you are, no matter what situation you're in, no matter whether you, uh, where you might be in, in life, political spectrum, no matter what, um, I, I'm wishing for, I'm wishing the best for you for, um, if it wasn't, uh, you know, if it was a great year, then hopefully that momentum continues into the next year. And if it wasn't a great year for you, that hopefully there are better things on the horizon. Um, I may be often quite cynical and angry myself, but at the end of the day, I am someone who wishes love for everyone, um, and, t uh, to, to kind of, um, bear witness to love being a truly, life-changing and world-shifting um, force in life. And so I'm kind of wishing that for everybody. Well, not kind of. I am wishing that for everybody, um, no matter what, uh, without exception, without condition. Um, so I want to thank everybody for um, listening. When I uh, brought this um, podcast back, I was actually kind of uh, surprised by the um, number of people who were encouraging by that or who were uh, encouraging me in that who were excited to see that it was coming back I don't have a large audience for this podcast but uh, the audience that, that I seem to have seems to be dedicated um, in both their encouragement and criticism um, but even that I am thankful for I'm thankful that there are people who do find some enjoyment uh, uh, validation and um uh, relation in this podcast, basically this podcast, which I set out to do to kind of um, enforce or, or reinforce there or, or put forth the idea that it doesn't matter what your artistic sensibilities are. Um, the fact that you are engaging in this art form and are excited about this art form and passionate about it means that that it, that you are part of a community and that your um, voice is just as valid as mine, which is just as valid as um, you know any other film critic out there, basically. Um, so I, I am quite thankful for that, for everybody who has been listening, um, who has been spreading the word about it, which once again is not many people, but I, you know, I'm guilty as well of, of <laughs> could be doing a little bit more uh, for this. But I, I'm, I'm truly thankful for everybody who has listened, who has chimed in, who has um, supported me in this. Um, if there's even one person who has kind of um, been encouraged or found their, their passion inflamed by this podcast, then this podcast has been a success um, and even if not, I am learning things on a regular basis and just kind of finding out and, and being exposed to more uh, of this art form uh, that I love as well. So it is for no other reason it is valid for that purpose. So thank you everyone for listening to this episode, for listening to this month, for listening to this year. Um, looking forward to see what 2019 brings us. So um, once again, um, Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year to you. Um, don't tune in next week because there won't be uh, a new episode. 
Um, but please do pay attention to the Facebook page, to my Twitter feed, to whatever, um, to learn uh, what is going to be happening in 2019, who the guest and what the theme will be in January. So um, thank you once again for the sake of, of uh, at the risk of being redundant. Thank you, everybody, again. Um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 